Hello and welcome back to Art on a Podcast, the podcast created by Art on a Postcard. This is the Art in Isolation series, series two, which I hope has been providing you with some artistic inspiration while we've been banged up indoors. I went foraging in the forest a couple of days ago and found some leaves and weeds and flowers to draw, which was really something I've never done before. Um, I have a good wildflowers of England index to identify them too. So this just in, <laughs> as if we weren't already overloaded with shocking news, I can confirm that the Latin name for a dandelion is Taraxicum officinal. <laughs> um, it was really a nice thing to do and not something I would have done had I not been shacked up in the countryside. So... As always, please do get in touch with us at Art and a Postcard and tell us what you've been up to. Um, and so today's episode is with the photographer Julia Fullerton Batten. Um, and she gives some brilliant advice about how to stay creative and motivated in quarantine, as well as gives us exclusive details about an upcoming quarantine photo series she is producing from outside people's houses with permission, of course. Um, Julia's work is highly cinematic and stylized photography, usually founded in socio-political issues or historical stories. She juxtaposes contrived, sleek compositions with authentic, rich stories that reflect the world we live in. You can view all of her work discussed in this episode and more um, on her website, juliafullerton-batten.com or on her Instagram, at Julia underscore Fullerton Batten. Okay, so enjoy the episode, and I'll see you at the other end. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I've, I've done my workout this morning, cleaned half of the house. Yeah? Finished half an interview, had a shower, and... I feel like I'm only just starting the day, to be honest. <laughs> oh, it seems like you're keeping some semblance of uh, routine and normality there, which is a good thing. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm trying to. I'm sleeping too long. Yeah. Because you know, I've got a 10 and 12 year old and we would get up at 6.30 every morning through the school run. Now we're, we're asleep till about 8.30 sometimes nine it's like oh shit get up everybody <laughs> it's not the day yeah are you uh are you continuing to do some photography work um while working from home i am Wonderful. um i'm actually doing a project on COVID 19 so really I, yeah when we had this whole lockdown i thought oh god i'm gonna go crazy because yeah. i hadn't i hadn't done a photographic shoot for about a month and I was just about to do a personal shoot that I've been working on for quite a long time yeah and then I had to cancel it right um, and I thought well how can I what can I do and first I thought oh I'm just going to photograph people on the streets and that's interesting people wearing masks and gloves or I'll just do some still lifes of gloves on the on the ground yeah and then I thought well that's quite reportage it's not really my style yeah so now um I'm, I, I mean, many people, many photographers are, are doing this, is yeah. photographing people through windows. Um, right. But I'm, I'm doing it in a more considered way that it's, it's set up. It's, it's, um, 
getting permission, discussing wardrobe. There's a lot of preparation beforehand, a lot of emails backwards and forwards. Yeah, yeah. All in my local area, it's uh, contact via email or mobile phone. And then um, sometimes it takes two weeks to kind of plan it all. And then um, my 12-year-old son has been joining me and carrying a couple of lights. Oh, amazing. <laughs> and we're always shooting the same, the same time of day, which is when, it's, when the sun's just going down, so it's a bit softer light. So it's about 7.38. And that also coincides with the clapping for the NHS, which I, which I quite like. And, um, yeah, and I'm doing about every three, every three days, but it's driving my husband mad because it's affecting our family dinner time <laughs> yeah I, I can imagine mm. yeah so could you give us a kind of a sneak sort of example of what one of those might entail one of those setups through the windows like a specific uh, setup for instance um well I would go and I would go and recce the house beforehand and check yeah. out the angle that I want to shoot so it's a little bit like how I approach my own you know photo shoots with a lot of preparation and I'm so used to working with a big team of people so it's kind of weird being on my own yeah and then I'll, I'll rock up you know like half an hour before we want to start shooting and um all contact with them will be through the window they might have to open it if it's double glazed so we can hardly hear each other and um I'm, I'm a good four meters away from them um my camera's on a tripod Mm. and uh, the lights are on stands and they're all radio synced and everything is set up and they they stand or sit and wear the wardrobe that we discussed yeah um i have i've been sponsored not, not sponsored but people have made me some beautiful masks that are that have been ball washed and i hand them over with gloves so we're, i'm very careful in yes um, yeah in you know any contact whatsoever because uh i don't want this to backfire in any way mm -hmm. um so I'm, I'm very careful about that and um well for example one woman had M has got ms that i photographed last week and and her and her husband discussed that actually they don't want anything coming into their home which i totally understand because if yeah. she her husband was going to wear the mask and if she loses not loses him but if he were to get ill uh, it would affect her because she was very dependent. She's very dependent on him. So we discussed that he just puts a scarf around his face. So that right. was fine. Um, yeah, yeah. Trying, you know, trying to be creative with ties. Um, one girl is testing body paint, you know, like face paint. But mm. I'm not sure if that's the wrong story. She's got amazing lips, and she puts some red lipstick on, and then these blue paint around her lips, which looks great. But I don't know if that's telling the wrong story. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking if that's going to work or not. And then we shoot for about, well, it, I normally say half an hour, but it ends up being over an hour, to be honest. Mm. But in the meantime, they're kind of relaxed. They get themselves a glass of wine. And I think they're enjoying the experience because it's a highlight of their day, isn't it, really? If they've been, you know... If, Absolutely. A lot, people, a lot of them have been self-isolating for quite some time, a little bit like my father, who is over 80 and is not leaving the house not even going for walks he's just walking in his garden then having some human contact is 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 really refreshing absolutely and it, it, it as you said it definitely will shake up the day for them and make them feel also like they're being included in something you know artistically 
relevant and um, something that will be but that will encapsulate this time that I'm sure will the aftermath of which we'll be experiencing for uh, ages and ages um, from now so that's got to feel really special for the participants too um, it's so interesting to hear how much creative control you maintain, um, you know, even through something like social distancing. You have such a distinctive aesthetic, cinematically lit and precisely staged. Um, shooting outside in locations such as the Thames, for instance, must be a challenge. How did you come to this photographic form? of hyperdrama um, and this with the cinematic quality um, to your work. It, it must have been a, a, a lengthy process. You know, when I started, I was traveling with my boyfriend at the time, who's also a photographer, and we would go to Vietnam, but I never handheld. I always worked with either a 5-4 plate camera or a Hasselblad on a tripod. And I always had that much more, uh, I was always more um, turned on by that kind of um, very considered look. I, I'm not, I don't think I'm very good at just um, snapping, grabbing moments. It, it, whenever I do that, I always feel, um, I always have a lot of respect for other photographers who do it really, really well. Mm -hmm. But I really love storytelling and building an idea and a setting that is in my mind either, it can be either um, um, about something about my teenage years or uh, something historical along the, the River Thames mm. or an idea that something that I've read about feral children, uh, a story from a book mm. uh, that has existed. And I really love creating. It's a little bit like um, setting up a still life, like a blank, totally blank, canvas and then what I have in my head how I visually see it then have it slowly unfold in front of me by my own creations yeah and I've always loved doing that but it's it's a very lengthy process um you know it's a lot of research and a lot of production which I do myself because it's all self-funded mm -hmm. and then I rely also on a big team of people who are you know, hair and makeup, um, yeah. prop stylist. I do. I find my own locations mostly, mm. um, but often I have people help me find actors or models, and it just goes. It goes on and on. It's it's a little bit like doing an advertising shoot, to be honest, because that's also right. what I. It's a little bit of advertising on the side, mm. and when you go to a pre-production meeting, the client wants to know what you're shooting, where you're shooting. They want to know what they're going to get. Mm. And it's that kind of preparation that I do for my own shoots. So shooting this COVID-19 project now is um, a little bit out of my depth, but I'm really enjoying it because it's, it's back to how I, I started, which was just me and a camera on a tripod and one or two lights. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really uh, cool to hear you talk about this, the, the, the storytelling aspect of your work, the, the characters that fill your um, photographs, um, you know, are so, are so carefully composed to be telling us this story. And I actually, when you, uh, when we first started contacting each other about doing this podcast, um, I, I think I mentioned 
when I was doing my master's in playwriting, I used one of your photographs as a source material for, from Old Father Thames with a whale and um, a collection of people gathered around in different items of brightly coloured clothing. And I could just see all these different stories and interpretations of this, uh, you know, very surreal, but also kind of real scenario that was playing out. And it, it was fascinating to me. I'm wondering, how do you land on a particular story or a social issue or what is the feeling like what's the difference between hearing a story that's great and hearing a story that you know you have to photograph that's a really good question it's i think um well my earlier work was uh, when i first started was um i was actually doing therapy at the time and without realizing i was photographing not without realizing but I wasn't going, going out specifically to, oh, I must really just concentrate on my teenage years, mm. troubled years. But mm. I was slowly developing a project that related to my teenage years. And before I knew it, I was actually, sh had shot a whole project. So that was right at the beginning. Mm. And after five years of um, working mostly about my past, I just kind of had enough and I just thought actually I want to do something really different mm. and that's when I started um, not specifically looking out for it but things just stumbled across my way and it's it's just the little things in life that you know reading a book or going to an exhibition or someone talk or me just mudlarking along the River Thames at low tide and my Wellington boots with my family. Wow. And I was standing there thinking, oh my God. Because when you, I don't know if you've ever been mudlarking, but when, it, when it's low tide, you do find, you can find quite amazing treasures, like little artifacts or, mm. you know, hundred year old coins. And I suddenly thought there's so much history in this river. Mm. And um, I just thought I've got to do a project on the river. And because there's so many different individual stories, like baptisms used to take place in the River Thames, that people used to go in fully clothed and be baptized and dunk underwater in uh, around Wiltshire area where the, there is no tide. Um, and bathing by Tower Bridge, I find incredible because that's all closed off now. Yeah. And you can't actually go and um, stand by the Tower Bridge at low tide, except it opens once a year um, for people who uh, want to go mudlarking. They open it specifically, but then it's very carefully monitored and they only let a, a certain amount of people uh, on the foreshore. And I discovered that there was sand on the foreshore and it was brought in, um, I don't know how. And, you know, this is before people were flying. This was in the 30s, 40s, 50s, when people used to go at low tide and actually sunbathe yeah. on the in front of the Tower Bridge. Yeah. And I just thought it was, there's so many interesting individual stories um, that I thought I had to create that. So that's just the father, old Father Thames. I can go on and on and on because there's, <laughs> so, uh, there's so many different stories that I've created over the years. Um, yeah, yeah. I also um, really love your series Unadorned. Um, where for those who haven't seen it, you created the work of old masters from the 15th, 17th century using, um, it, it, is it, would the terminology be fat women? 
is that you know within in this sort of yeah uh, yeah uh, I, I would say maybe oversized but yeah we could say that yeah <laughs> women and men and there is one child as well right 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 so in doing that project what did you sort of discover what did you want to say initially about the body and uh art history and what did you learn through the process like what kind of what surprises what did you learn during during that process about the, the body and um and its relationship to art history and art in general well i i felt that we're so pressurized by beauty i mean this is this is um maybe nearly i don't know when i shot this maybe eight years ago and and things have changed since then you know now um people you know models aren't as skinny as they used to be and mm -hmm. Uh, we're now welcoming different ethnicities and all sorts of different people. But, you know, then it was all beauty magazines. Everybody had to be really slender and skinny. And I think there, there is or was, uh, less so now, uh, so much pressure, especially on women. Men too, because people don't realise that a lot of men suffer, and boys, um, mm. suffer from anorexia. And I don't think it's really spoken about and that was one other project I wanted to shoot, by the way, that it, I started, but I couldn't find many anorexic boys who would come forward for the project and show their faces, which I mm. wanted to include. Um, and I've always been, you know, one of these uh, females who always feels that, you know, I should be slimmer and... Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm strong, I'm fit, and I think I'm healthy, and I'm really happy with myself, but I always feel like, oh, I need to be, I need to be size eight, or, you know, even size 10. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that there's a lot of pressure on us, and in, in the olden days, and a lot of the master's paintings, it was, it, it was actually the full bodies were the ones that were uh, wealthy and could afford, you know, eating cheese and wine and dine and those yeah. were their attractive bodies and that's changed so much over over centuries mm. that i thought it'd make a really interesting uh, photographic um project and what i really enjoyed was um when i was trying to find real people because they're not models mm. uh, to come forward for the project it was really interesting how many of them actually were so happy to shed their clothes so to speak and and really it's there's something very interesting when you actually become naked in front of a person because mm. you really open up uh, emotionally then as well um yeah and for these people to you know get they're not used to being naked in front of a stranger photographer mm. and loads of assistants and hair and makeup artists and blah 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 and I, I think they really enjoyed it and felt this was a once in a lifetime opportunity to be photographed by an art photographer. So I don't have a studio. I invited them to my home and they had to undress in front of me and for me to take pictures and just see um, how I'm going to photograph them, if I'm going to photograph them at all. Mm. And, um, and it was for, for both sides, I think a really interesting uh, project. And I found this really beautiful house that I hired, which yeah. um, which was old and it kind of suited the master's painting look. It had um, really beautiful color palette. And I would, uh, what I noticed in a lot of the master's paintings that there's a lot of 
um, rotten fruit and wilting flowers. So I, I got loads of fruit into my garage and um, let it rot over a period of time. It took, did take quite a long time. And I think rotting fruit and wilting flowers are absolutely stunning to photograph. Yeah. And put those in and um, yeah, for, first I wasn't sure how everybody would react. I mean, I, I'm half German, so I we used to spend every summer holiday on, on a nudist beach. And the only time we actually ever got dressed was when we went to bed at night when it was cold. Right. We would run around naked all day, you know, all age groups. And, mm-hmm. um, and that was kind of normal for us. I wouldn't do it now. I wouldn't feel comfortable about it now. But it was something that my parents took us to and we would, it was just the most normal thing to do. Um, yeah yeah it it sounds so fascinating I think like you're saying it's um can be such an exposing experience for someone to take their clothes off in front of someone else but it can also be um so liberating and um it, it sounds like on both both sides in front of the camera and you yourself behind the camera as someone who has, you know, gone on your own journeys with your body, that it was definitely um, a, a learning experience and, uh, and extremely beneficial on both sides. I think it's a beautiful project. I think it's, um, it, it, it's, it's stunning. Um, and, and, and I think most women, like you, you're saying, have, have experienced uh, issues with, with being comfortable in their bodies. Um, and to see these women, you know, empowered and beautiful in, in these beautiful settings um, is, is brilliant to see. Um, much of your work, you, you've mentioned a lot about your, your children, you know, going for walk, walks with them and um, your child coming along with you to uh, holding the lights for this Corona project. Yeah. Um, and of course, in your series, Teenage Stories and Feral Children, um, you deal with the anthropological sort of issues that encompass growing up. Um, do, do you ever incorporate your children in your works? Um, and is there a difference between your work uh, since becoming a mother than before being a mother? The first time, I think it's the first time my boys appeared in one of my images was when I was recreating the 1814 frost fair, when the river Thames froze over mm. to such an extent that people would actually walk onto the river and have erect tents and have all these parties. And the last one was 1814. And um, there was uh, one episode where they, uh, um, the parade, they paraded in, African elephant over the river. So I made my son Max, the little elephant, what do you call it? Not hoarder, the little elephant boy who would, you know, walk in front of the elephant. And um, it's it's hard photographing your own kids because Mm. they come with, um, because obviously I'm the mother and, um, you know, he was there on set with 95 people. And um, he suddenly, I think he got very nervous because I was filming as well for the first time. And he just suddenly said he had really bad stomach ache and there's no way he can do this. And the problem was I, I hadn't photographed any other, sorry, I filmed all the other kids. So he was the only one left mm. to do that role. So I couldn't just suddenly replace him with another kid. 
because that then meant I would have to leave that little section out. And um, we all had to wait for about half an hour. I had to, you know, at break time yeah. and leave for him to come back. And, you know, when the time is, is ticking, um, money is rolling, ticking, and it's like, mm. um, <laughs> and then my other son, the 12 year old was kind of doing all things like high five to, uh, to the bodybuilder on set and it was uh, and when I saw that later on film it was like oh no I can't show that either uh, <laughs> that, so that was quite hard yeah I haven't, I haven't actually photographed my boys yet in this lockdown situation mm. um, and when I asked them to stand in to just test it test the lights and everything they they're getting a little bit more impatient with me I would say one or two years ago it was much easier and um, in fact, my younger one loved taking pictures of any actors or models coming to our house. Because mm. um, I, I don't know if I mentioned that, I don't have a studio, so I work from home. And um, he would just grab my snappy camera and, you know, kind of direct them. And it was really fun. And I let him do it. It was really fun watching him do that, I thought. Yeah. Gosh, is he going to become a director of photographer one day? <laughs> and I thought, oh, I feel about that. Yeah. Um, Photographing the feral children was hard, or the, the build-up, not the shoot itself, but the build-up and reading all the stories of these feral children mm. who, who were either rejected by their parents and therefore treated like um, animals themselves, and or they were totally isolated in a space like a jungle where they had no human contact and that was really hard mm. and that was I think that was hard because I am a mother of two boys and mm. I think I think kids um these days I mean if you if you think I mean I used to be hit by as a child and that that wasn't uh that abnormal you know you get a little smack on your bottom mm. but if you or prams used to be left outside. We're quite overly protective over our children now, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe too much. I think. Um, you know, now if you point a camera at a at a stranger's child, um, you know, they'll ask you to delete the digital files or tear, tear the film out of the camera. Mm. Um, so it's it's much harder to to generally photograph kids. But um, talking back to going back to the feral children, I think that was particularly tough. I mean, I would, like all my subject matters, I really research it to such a degree that I get really involved and I have to think about each individual setting. And there are some video cases that you can see of these feral children, you know, on, they, they start walking on all fours. Mm. They don't walk upright. They, 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 the whole behavior is animal-like and they have big psychological issues as they be, turn into adults. And a lot yeah. of them are taken into special care homes or special psychological units. And that was really hard where I'd have to kind of just stop and go outside and go for a walk and distract myself. But I think yeah. hard for anybody, not just being a parent. Mm. Um, but yeah, I wish... I. I I had one idea to photograph my children more in different, because, you know, I, I'm still, I am capturing them, 
and I'm photographing them quite a lot, but it's more day-to-day, just normal situations. Mm. But I like to recreate these situations. And as I'm watching them growing up, and now my 12-year-old is texting more with his friends, especially now we've got this lockdown. Mm. Um, it's hard finding a balance with children, how much screen time to give them with the lockdown right now, because yeah. they have hardly any contact well, they have no contact with their friends whatsoever. Yeah. And so doing a Zoom call now and then is where they can see each other is is lovely, but it's, yeah, it's not the same, is it? These- no, absolutely. Well, it sounds like you've managed to keep a really um, creative household with your, um, with your project, your ongoing project, including your family members in, in those projects. Um, and obviously this is something that... Uh, you guys are used to seeing as you said your studio is at home I'm just wondering do you have any uh, as this series is art in the time of isolation this podcast series uh, do you have any sort of advice for people who are because I mean you see all the way across online at the moment people are um, trying to you know investigate new hobbies that they've always wanted to take up um, and generally a lot of them are quite creative projects and um, for those artists I have a lot of artist friends at the moment who are stuck in writer's blocks or you know because they can't get out they can't go and um, explore in the ways that they might do normally do you have any inspiration as someone who is continuing to work in isolation um, of, of how to keep that creative muscle uh, um, functioning during isolation? You know what? I think part of me also thinks that it, I don't think people should put themselves under pressure to having to create because they're in lockdown right now. Mm. And I think I was, I, at the, the first few weeks, um, especially the first few days, I suddenly got very panicky on, oh my God, what am I going to create? What can I do? Mm. And I started putting myself under so much pressure. And I just thought, this is a time also for people to reflect and think about what they want to create maybe in the future. They don't have to be creating right now. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing people, you know, who are in the fashion industry, they're, they're making masks, which is great. And yeah, people are coming out and um they have the time now don't they to to create something but personally i don't think it's necessary and i'm, I'm hearing it from other photographers that they're feeling this immense pressure having to do something i think people are um spring cleaning and emptying cupboards and i don't know i think there's a lot of podcasts and um this is a time to also reach out to other other people. Um, I've started doing, you know, 20 minute portfolio reviews. Other photographers could, could do that too, as in mm. not mine, but do their own and reach out to other photographers. And I think this is a time for people to connect. And unfortunately, the, the only thing I find very frustrating is everything's done over the screen. I'm, I'm, I'm one of these people who feel that we need to get away from the screen and yeah I think the most important thing uh, right now for me is also to daily exercise uh, to keep that going mm. uh, so we get up in the morning and we do our our yoga or our joe wicks um and you know get our heartbeat going and we make sure we also go for a family walk for about an hour every day because I think if you get to the well those who can of course for those who can because I think if you get too set 
to confine in your in your space in your four walls yeah i personally would go nuts i would oh. just i'm one of these people i i have to be very active and my husband's great at sitting and doing the homeschooling i do some of it but he's great at doing that and i'm the one running around with the hoover and, mm. and with the mop <laughs> um, but, but going back to what you're saying i think how to be creative i think it's yeah it's it will come naturally uh, to some people like it did to me but those who haven't found it yet and who have that writer's block i don't think it matters and and the more you relax the more you will find a subject matter that you might want to create or something that you might want to do either now or in the future that's what i think Ah, oh, yeah. Well, I think that's such valuable advice. Um, and Julia, I've really, really enjoyed speaking with you today. I'm um, such a fan of your work. I think that it's, uh, you know, as well as being aesthetically stunning um, and cinematic and extremely distinctive as your style, it also draws on, as I was saying, you know, and as you've discussed, many social issues and historical stories and, um, and, and, and allows for stories to emerge out of the characters within them. Um, so I'm very, very grateful to get the chance to speak with you today. Um, and thank oh, and you very I'm, much. I'm really grateful to speak to you. I really enjoyed the podcast you did with uh, Renata Vendos. Yeah. I thought, oh. she, I thought she was incredibly down to earth and I really enjoyed listening to it. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, actually, I love listening to your voice. I think you've got a beautiful voice, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you very much. And, and uh, yeah, no, I really keep it up. It's great, especially at, the, at this, you know, time when people have got time and I'm going to follow you the whole time. Yeah. Oh, thank you no, so I'm much. Well, I'll, I'll be doing the same and I can't wait to see how this, uh, this Corona project turns out. Um, I'll be excited to see that. Thank you. All thank right. You. Take care and look yeah, after you yourself did. and good luck with everything. Yeah. Keep safe. Take care. Yeah. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Art on a Podcast. To find out more about anything in today's episode, go to artonapostcard.com and be sure to follow us on all our social channels at Art on a Postcard. Goodbye!